Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. If- whoa, whoa, what the hell is that? The flashing light? Yes. It's the tape recorder. Oh, right. Good. You can never be too careful. I once saw a vampire lure a man to his death with a spot-on impression of a Nokia 3310. I'm pressing the button. Monster Hunter, an audio guide for local authority personnel. Episode 1, an introduction to the profession. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Monster Hunter, an audio guide for local authority personnel. My name is Erskine Melville and as the senior Monster Hunter for Leap Valley Borough Council, I am responsible for all monster-related activity across the Free Gorge region. I also take care of itinerant fairies, occult occurrences, and for some reason the maintenance of children's play equipment. As a sixth generation hunter and the son of a revered reservoir Malville, I'm probably the foremost authority on the subject in the British Isles. For that reason, along with the terms of a ridiculous community service order, I've been asked to create this audio guide on what it means to be a modern monster hunter. Each episode will concentrate on a key element of what we call the profession. It will offer a vital resource for those new to the service, as well as a few tricks for older hunters that haven't already been shredded beyond recognition by a truculent werewolf. (laughs) I'm talking to you, Terry Scratchface. In this episode, I will give a brief history of the monster hunter role, how it's evolved, and the guiding principles that shape the way we work. I will not be discussing play equipment maintenance. That information can be found in my other court-ordered podcast series. The History Monster hunting has become heavily over-romanticised in popular literature, the arts, and in any film where Hugh Jackman wears a black coat. However, few people know that it's had an important part to play in all human societies for the past 4,000 years. Scratch the surface of any civilization, the Greeks, the Romans, the Scousers, and lurking beneath the tales of war, sex and sewage provision on the Wirral, you'll find that the ancient texts hint at something else. Something darker. In the shadows. An alternative world history, best summed up by the image of a rugged gentleman atop a hillock of skulls, a wooden stake in his hands and a group of adoring acolytes at his knees, willing to satisfy his every earthly desire. Sadly, times have changed. Now the average hunter is lucky if he can get a quick fumble round the back of a co-op with one of those girls that buy stuff from the shop that sells overpriced water and feng shui rocks. It's not very comfortable, especially if she's got one in her pocket. Still, the profession is spoiled for choice when it comes to tales of greatness. If only your mainstream history books recorded their amazing tales. Take Joseph de Kilblain, who bravely defeated the great demon of Vossenbach. Or Spain's famed Sheila Montbassa, who beheaded the cruel two-headed raven of Tranio. In the UK, we also had many incredible monster hunters, such as the dynamic duo of Tom Child and Arthur Snatcher, although they did disappear rather abruptly after that school incident. Yet, even amongst this pantheon, there is one that stands out. I refer, of course, to the great Victorian Robert Dunn, the father of modern monster hunting. Before entering the profession, Dunn had hunted monsters for sport, often using a stake and hoop to kill vampires as part of some macabre game of Victorian netball. Having noticed his talent, the aldermen of the City of London Corporation, who were having terrible trouble with their cowpies, offered Dunn the paid position of ghoul pursuivant. At a stroke, he turned his hobby into a day job, 
Thus, the age of a gifted amateur was over, and the role was, for the first time, cemented into the ledger. In short, it became the profession. You can see from the records that Dunn himself was paid a generous annual salary of £42, including lodging. He was also, weirdly, promised a regular supply of eagle eyes in a cherry sauce, which is apparently the inspiration behind the name of the popular 90s singer, Finley Quay. Of course, the role has developed since Dunn's time. Firebrands such as John Grapes, Meredith Fackley and the thrice-disgraced Eric Fawn have each taken the profession in interesting and, at times, controversial directions. I even personally knew the amazing Davos Triggerfinger and remember his ability to shoot an apple off the nose of a small child. It was both a sight to behold and the reason he lost his previous job as the fruit and veg supplier to local schools. But it was Dunn himself that set out the three guiding principles that still hold true for all modern monster hunters, namely community, collaboration and killing. The three guiding principles. Dunn called these principles his three C's. It's probably worth noting, but he wasn't the most educated of hunters. Sure, he could gut and stab like a flash of lightning, but show him an Oxford comma and he'd just freeze. Community. For your average man on the street, it would probably come as quite a shock to discover that the monstrous walk amongst us on a daily basis. But they are everywhere. That scraping sound in a dark, quiet street. The soft, gentle moan from a churchyard. The vacant, pained look from a sales assistant in Curries. Across this septed aisle, these unpleasant creatures walk, creep and ooze. It is our job to keep them in check. Yet there is a balance to be struck. You can't just leap right in, maiming and killing everyone who looks a bit on the weird side. The twin realms of the monster and the everyday present a delicate, symbiotic ecosystem. We have to respect the natural hierarchy of things and the innate right of all creatures to lead a meaningful existence. But equally, if a vampire gives a good necking to some old lady, he's going to get a stake in the heart. That's why community meetings in village halls, regular consultation via Survey Monkey, and even the occasional coach trip are all key tools in the armory. And it's not just good relations with our inhuman cousins that prove useful. Having some ability to charm and reassure your fellow man is invaluable, as anyone who's ever cleared out a Nosferatu nest in a local authority old people's home will tell you. It's hard enough explaining away one corpse, but when you've had to drive a stake through the heart of 32 octogenarians, the Care Quality Commission can get a bit uppity. Collaboration. Of course, in Dunn's time, collaboration meant having a sidekick who would carry the weapons, deliver the scotch, and make pointed comments about the place of women. Some of these assistants would die horribly. Others would go on to greatness. One of Dunn's own sidekicks, Ducky, became a renowned hunter himself until he was run over by a woman driving an early version of a motor car which was exactly the sort of thing he'd been carping on about. In the modern era, however, collaboration has come to mean something else. While it's still useful to have an assistant watching your back, and even now my colleague Elaine is recording this, Hello. these days it largely involves knowing how to navigate the overly bureaucratic systems that regulate a local council. For starters, monster hunting is a logistically difficult business, and you often need access to weaponry at a moment's notice. While storage can usually be found in an empty estate garage or lock-up, keeping up-to-date supplies of even the most basic items – holy water, silver bullets, carved wooden stakes – can be trickier. It's not like Amazon will do next-day delivery. Be prepared to spend a lot of weekends whittling. Given that most in the profession languish as a sort of black ops unit in the pest control section of the local authority org chart, securing the necessary funding for our work can also be hard. 
you have to be wary of any attempts to restructure the business. Most in the council won't know what you do, and that's a good thing, but it can also make you appear highly dispensable when the accountants come round for their efficiency visits. My advice at this point? Be seen, look busy, and organise several meetings with titles such as Future Strategy, Maximising Goals, Minimising Costs, and Target Operating Model Alignment. You could also try inviting the accountants out to dinner with some of the more domesticated vampires, but they do tend to get on a bit too well. Alternatively, you can go the other way. I've heard that some of my peers like to practice shock tactics. A banshee in the new chief exec's city flat on a Friday night can work wonders. A horde of rabid wendigo during the council chair's annual speech to the golf club might be another way to go. I guess, in summary, you have options. You'll have to decide what works for you. Killing. Now we come to the last of the three C's, and, for obvious reasons, this is the one which the newbies get most worked up about. Now I'm not saying that killing isn't fun. You've not lived until you've swung from a chandelier, chanting Rumiscon's untold patronage, or blasting a rogue necromancer in the face with buckshot. But sometimes, late at night, when you look in the mirror and scrape the congealed fur from the inside of your teeth, you can't help but wonder who the real monster is. I imagine Weatherspoon chefs experience much the same feeling. Basically, killing isn't the be-all and end-all of everything, except for those you kill, of course. Ultimately, those within the profession have at our core one basic function, one raison d'etre based upon Dunn's guiding principles. We hold the balance. We are the ones that allow the sun to rise each morning, the thin brown line between civilization and waking up to find gnomes piddling in your teapot. Yes, we may be poorly paid. Yes, we may be unrecognised members of local government. And yes, we may dress like a Dungeons and Dragons Christmas party. But we are the monster hunters, and we keep the good people of this land safe from the things with massive jaws that actually do live under most beds in the suburban environment. <sighs> Will that do? Monster Hunter, an audio guide for local authority personnel, was written and produced by Erskine Melville with assistance from Rob Smith, Peter Richard Adams and Rosie Green.